You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. I titled this message, Intention. It's a little cheesy play on words, right? Intention. Um, I was driving my daughter to school, my five-year-old daughter to school, a few days ago, and she asked me a question. She said, Dad, what does meaning mean? <clears throat> and I love, I love Maya because she's inquisitive. She loves asking questions, and she loves explanations. So I knew I couldn't get out of it. I couldn't just change the subject and, you know, look at what a beautiful day we have, babe. Because how do you explain meaning to a five-year-old, Right? So I thought, well, I don't really have a good explanation that could fit, but I'm not going to water it down. I'm going to talk to her like she's a teenager. I'm going to bring her up a little bit. So I looked at her and I said, well, babe, you used the word in the question. You asked, what does meaning mean? The word mean in that phrase is the word that word meaning comes from. So meaning means to mean. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> she said, No. <laughs> By then, I, I was even confused. I'm like, what did I just say? So I was like, no, I think I got this. I think I, think I have it. And, and I asked her, what does it mean when daddy hugs you? And she said, that you love me? I said, there you go. That's meaning. My hugs are important to you because of what they mean. So love is the meaning of my hug. She said, oh. So I dropped her off, and I kept thinking about this because I had been thinking about this idea of intention. And how intention is this thing that we all possess, every single one of you. We all possess this ability of intention. Whether you realize it or not, you are here this morning because of intention. It was intention that caused you to wake up on a Sunday morning, get in the car, and come to Ripple One Middle School where we have church on Sundays. It was intention that led you to listen to the songs that we sang, to listen to this message right now. And it was intention that caused you to make every single decision you've made thus far. Intention is a big part of our lives. And I want to ask you this. How often or how long has it been since you pondered about your intentions? Since you took a step back and you asked yourself, why do I make the decisions that I make? Why am I living the way that I'm living? Why am I engaged in the things that I'm engaged in? Why do I wake up on Monday mornings and do what I do? Intention is what drives our action. And this is true especially in, when it comes to our relationship with God. If we are to discover meaning in life, we need to pay attention to our intention. Can you tell somebody, pay attention to your intention? This is true because what gives life meaning, your actions, how you treat others, your pursuit of God, the work of your hands, your pursuit of God's attributes, it all originates in intention. And this is something, like I said, that deeply affects your relationship with God. Now, you might be here this morning because someone invited you or you saw a sign or an ad on Google and you decided to come to a church. And maybe you're not even a Christian. Maybe you, you are a theist. You believe that there's a God, there's a power, a higher power that governs the existence that governs the world, but you're not quite sure about this Jesus that we kept singing about this morning so vibrantly. And you're not quite sure about 
Christianity. But this affects you too. And you will probably agree with this. That if you've had any conflict in your heart regarding your belief in God, if you've had any conflict in your mind regarding what you perceived to be God's actions, it had to do with the disparity between what you perceive to be God's actions and your intentions. That is the tension that we live in. In other words, you judged what you thought God did or didn't do, what you thought he allowed or didn't allow, according to your intentions. And then you ask questions like, how could God let this happen? Or how could God have allowed this? Or even if there is a God, why would he or she or it allow this or permit this? Or why wouldn't he prevent that situation? At the core of it, at the center of it, it's this conflict between our intention and our perception of God's actions. And if this is very true, especially if you're a Christian, if there ever was a situation, you might agree with this. I think most of you will agree with this. If there ever was a situation where you considered leaving Christianity, you considered turning your back on your faith, it probably involved you judging God's actions, looking at God's actions, what you perceive to be God's actions, through the lenses of your intention and finding that conflict, especially when it comes to your pursuit of God. Because most of the time, most of the time, what drives us to pursue God, what drives us to pray, what drives us to have a relationship with God or lack thereof, is this idea, this desire that we have to see God's power, to see his will, to see his expression, to see all that God can do, all that we think that he's able to do align See that come align and align with our intentions. That's why we pray the way we pray. That's why we ask the things that we ask for. But you will agree with this too. We don't always get it right, do we? Our intentions are not always right. And there are plenty of examples in scriptures of people who had this kind of conflict. But one is prime. And it's found in the book of Jonah. Now, let me give you some context to this conflict that Jonah had. Because Jonah was a prophet in the Old Testament. And he first appears in 2 Kings chapter 14. And it's a very short verse that talks about his prophecy uh, to the kingdom of Israel. But later, around 400 years B.C., there's an account of something that happened in Jonah's life. Now, Jonah was a prophet. And he received a message against the city city of Nineveh, and the message was to call them out on their mistakes, to call them out on their evil deeds. God sent him to call them out because their evil was really, really great. Now, a couple of things that you need to know about Nineveh. First, Nineveh was a Gentile city. It wasn't a Jewish city. It wasn't a Hebrew city. Secondly, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian kingdom, and the Assyrians were ruthless. The Assyrians were known by their, their level of horror when it, came to, to, um, when it came to torture, when it came to how they dealt with their enemies or any threat. I mean, from flaying people alive to, I don't want to get graphic, but too late for that, to ripping tongues out by the root. They used to do 
horrible things. So God is sending this Jewish prophet into a non-Jewish town, city, the capital of a major empire at the time, to tell them to stop doing what they're doing. Now, Israel was a threat to the Assyrian Empire. And so Jonah, let me remind you, a prophet from God, to, to put it simply, this was his job. This was his livelihood. He decides, he has a brilliant idea. When he receives this message from God, he decides, I'm going the other way. I'm going to flee from the presence of God. And so he goes. Now, I have a map here for you to have an idea of what he decides to do. Jonah is in Joppa, and he boards a ship to go to Tarshish. Now, Tarshish is where Spain is currently. And literally, for them, this is about 2,500 years ago. This is literally across the world. This is on the other side of the world, as, as far away as he could possibly go, 2,500 miles from where he was in the opposite direction of Nineveh. Now, if you know the story... You know that he decided to do this, but there's a couple of things. The Bible is not specific on why he decided to do this, but there's a couple of theories, theories out there. One is found in rabbinical literature where it says that Jonah decided to flee because after he delivered that prophecy in 2 Kings, he gained a reputation of a true prophet. So he was revered as a true prophet. But after that prophecy, he delivered another prophecy to Jerusalem who, that did not come to pass. Because Jerusalem repented and God relented. So his business, his reputation, his image was at stake. Because he knew that Ninevites were at the point of repentance. He knew that if he brought a word of judgment to the Ninevites, they were going to take a step back, repent, and knowing God, he knew that his judgment wasn't going to come to pass. So his, basically, his reputation as a prophet would have been doomed. That's one of the theories. There is a second theory from biblical scholars that say that, yes, that might be true, but that wasn't enough. What really caused him to flee is that he was a nationalist. He was a patriot. And in, in Jonah's mind, what Nineveh was doing was a threat to Jerusalem. It was a threat to Israel. So either way, whether he was the guy who became a prophet, a false prophet, or he was the guy who allowed Nineveh to find a way for repentance, he was doomed. Either way, in his view, he was doomed. So he decided to flee. Now, just let me pause right here in the story. I don't know if you can relate, if you can see the dynamic and the tension of the story. Because Jonah is in a situation where his image is going to be affected. Where his self-interest is going to be affected. He receives a direction and he doesn't agree with the action that God wants him to take. How many times have you and I made decisions because of how we would look like? Decisions that were not based on what is right or what is wrong and what we should do. Not based on our calling, but based on what people would perceive when they saw us making that decision. Or decisions that were compromised, that showed our intention to be compromised by self-interest. That's exactly what happened to Jonah. And moved by self-interest, he flees. Now, if you know the story, you know that he got in the boat, a big storm came, 
he was sleeping deep in the deck of the boat when the storm hit uh, the, the boat and the boat was being tossed and the crew was scared. They were scared for their lives and they, they threw all the cargo in the water to make the ship lighter. But it didn't work. And they were still afraid of their lives. So they finally found Jonah, called him up and asked him to pray. And it seemed like Jonah was quiet in his corner, didn't want to say anything. Finally, they decided to cast lots to figure out whose fault is this. And I'm assuming, this is my assumption, this is not in Scripture, but I'm assuming they were already deciding who they were going to toss first. But Jonah, if the lots fall on Jonah, and he explains the story, they get, they get scared, and he says, you know what, this is what you need to do. Toss me in the water. Toss me in the water, because this, this came because of me. And basically what he was saying is, I'd rather drown than go to Nineveh. I'd rather have my body in the deep of the sea then go to Nineveh and let them off the hook. Well, too bad, because according to the story, <laughs> he couldn't die. <laughs> he tried to, but he couldn't. Because as the story goes, a big fish swallows him up, vomits him on the beach. And at the point of death, he, he, he takes a step back and he renews his vow with God. And he says, okay, God, I'm going to do it. And so he does it. And here is where we pick up on the scripture. Because God spares them. Exactly what rabbinical literature assumes is what happened. Jonah 3.10, it says, When God saw what, he did, what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented from the disaster that he had said he would do to them. He did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Oh, can you believe that? A little bit dramatic of Jonah, right? There's a couple of passages there that says that he was exceedingly happy and exceedingly sad and exceedingly happy and exceedingly sad. But he basically tells off God. He basically tells God, he rebukes God and saying, how could you let these people off the hook? How could you do this? It doesn't make sense after all the evil they've done, after all the stuff they put us through. You're going to forgive them. I knew that you're slow to... He made it sound like it was a bad thing, that God was so good. What was happening? Jonah was judging God's actions by his own intentions. His intentions were filled with self-interest. And he was judging him, judging God by his own intentions. Now, this is what we need to know about intention. Intention follows our belief. It follows our conviction. And philosophers that, stu that study the philosophy of intention, they will affirm this, that you cannot intend to do something that is inconsistent with your belief. It's irrational for you to do something, to intend to do something that is not consistent with your belief. That's why when your belief changes, when your convictions change, you feel regret. Because your intentions can, can stretch 
into the future, but also into the past. You can think of something that you did that is no longer consistent to your beliefs and your convictions, and you can feel bad about it. You can feel regretful, and, and you can feel that's how repentance comes to us too. It filters all decisions that we make. And this is where I think, and I, I'm convicted in my heart, where Christianity plays such a powerful and beautiful role, where the life of Jesus in us plays such a powerful and beautiful role. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, it says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, sword, piercing to the division of soul and, sp and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I think that one of the most positive and powerful effects of Christianity, of the life of Jesus in us, is that it deals with, your, with our intention. And this is something that you come to realize And it's, sometimes it's difficult for you to understand because if you grew up in a certain Christian tradition, it was all about do's and don'ts. But really, it's not about do's and don'ts. Any action that we are encouraged to do deals with the intention of the heart. Jesus comes straight to the intention of the heart and he addresses it. He addresses the source. He addresses the part of us that makes the decision, where decisions are inspired. And this is why... Intention is important in this context. And you probably deal with this every single day. I think all of us do. Because there's a duality in a relationship with God where there is a tension. And we live in tension where we can seek God and have faith for the things that he can do, for the deeds that he can perform. We can have faith for the things that we want to see God do in our lives. And on the other hand, We have attention with our devotion for who he is. And if our, if our intention, if our intention is marred by self-interest, if our intentions are marred by our own interest, we can fall into the trap of having our devotion to God influenced by this self-interest to the extent that we will use our faith To match his ability to our intention instead of submitting our abilities to his intention. And this, I think, is something that every single one of us deals with and it's powerful for us to understand. This is a trap that you can have, look at God's ability and try to have it match your intentions instead of just submitting your abilities to his intentions. Now, I want to encourage you with this. I want to encourage you to put your abilities, what you have in your hands, your, your talents, your gifts in God's hand and trust his intentions. Much is said, and we speak, we speak it here, we encourage you in trusting in God's power. Much is said about God's ability in our lives. But I want to encourage you today to flip it and to look at the abilities that he has given you. Look at the talents that he has given you. And say, God, I present them to you, to your intentions. Do with my life what you will. I'm going to trust your intentions. If you submit your abilities to his intentions, you will see your life gain a kind of meaning that will have eternal purpose. 
Now, there's two things that I want to encourage you to do, okay? This is homework, and I'm coming to a close here. So two things. One thing that you can do to align your intentions and submit your abilities to God's intentions is as you present your life to God, as you present your heart to him, question your intentions. Ask questions that will try and test your intentions. The psalmist David, King David, he prayed in one of his psalms, Search me, O God. Search my heart and see if there's any evil way in me. I try to do that from time to time. In fact, the other day I was on the phone with my wife and out of, out of the blue I asked her, Why do we do what we do, babe? Why are we living the way we're living? It wasn't a question that, a rhetorical question that gave the idea that we're in some kind of bad life. I encourage you to do this just to assess. Assess your intentions. Assess your heart. Why are you engaged with the things that you're engaged with? Why do you spend your time the way you spend your time? What is the motivation behind your relationships? You have one life. You have one life. And it is important that as you come into your relationship with God, your creator, the one who gave you talents and, and who gave you the abilities that you have, that you align your life with his plan for you because it is a good plan. And it is the plan that will bring fulfillment to your life. The second thing, I have only two things, is, align, is connected to the first thing is for you to make God the object of your intention. Make him the object of your intention. In other words, seek God for who he is. Not necessarily for what he can do for you. Because if we're only going after God because of his power and his ability, we will, we will be frustrated at some point. But if we submit our heart to him, if we submit our intentions to him, and we say, God, we trust you. We trust your mind. We trust your plan. Guide me today. He will reveal himself to you. And you may say, how can I know? How can I know what God wants? How can I know what God is like? How can I know God's attributes? Is God good? Is God? Well, Jesus said this. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. It's very simple. There's a lot of talk about, you know, what God is and who God is. And, but Jesus is the physical expression of God. In Jesus' life was every single attribute of God. In Jesus' life, the law, the Old Testament, was fulfilled. The expression of God's life was in him. And it was love. And it was forgiveness. And it was wholeness. And it was restoration. So if you're wondering what God is like, he is love. He is forgiveness. He is restoration. He is hope. Jesus also said this, that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God's intention is that you be saved. God's intention is that you do well. God's intention is that your life may expand beyond your limitations, beyond the limitations that might have been put on you, beyond the limitations of our current existence, beyond the limitations of our society and our sociological structure, beyond the limitations that you find yourself in. He wants you to go beyond. 
We see that in many people's lives. We see that in scripture. We see that in people in history. Because this is what happens. When God's nature, when his nature comes into our lives, the possibilities that we have are his possibilities. This is what a late American philosopher said, Donald Davidson. He said, one cannot intend to do what one believes to be impossible. And that's true. That's why Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. He can do what's impossible to us. But when his life enters our life, the realm of possibility becomes infinite. This was true in the life of Martin Luther King. This is February. We're, we're celebrating Black History Month. And at the center of this, this movement is this man, Martin Luther King Jr. Now, we all know his story. We all know the impact that he's had. But I want you to think about this for a minute. This is a, this is a boy who grew up at a time where he was told at every single point in his life that he can't. At every single point of his life, there was limitation, there was prejudice, there was resistance. There was another reality in his heart that was put in there by the faith of his father who, made, who, who led him to believe that what surrounded him was not the will of God for his life. That what surrounded him was not God's plan for mankind. In fact, he believed that racism was an affront to God's plan, to God's very nature. And so even though in his teenage years he had some conflicts with Christianity, it was in his junior year in college that a professor inspired him to place his abilities, to place his gifts, to place what he had in the hands of God through the ministry. And so he went and became a sociologist and then did his master's in, in uh, systematic theology and got his doctorate. He was a minister. He was a pastor, a believer who changed the world because he took his abilities, he took his intentions, and he placed in the hands of God. And he believed, believed that his impossibilities could be transformed into possibilities because of God's life in him. Now he's gone, but his dream is still alive. And we're still impacted by that today. Why? Because what originated in his heart was from God. And it is God's plan for mankind. Now, bring it back to you. You might have desires in your heart, things, dreams that are from God, that are connected to God, whether you've been a Christian or not. Maybe you know, you're here today and, and there's, there's this thing in you that you know your life is meant to be about. Maybe it, it's something that you have to do or an organization or a job that you need to do. Maybe it's taking care of your families, raising your ch children well. But there's this, there's this drive to go beyond your limits. Let me encourage you with this. It does not matter what your past has been, what you have done or left undone. When you come into God's reality and you submit your abilities to Him, His intention. His idea, his mind, his word can change you and bring you into a reality where the realm of possibilities are beyond what you have experienced. He can bring you into what may seem impossible, 